0: A very good morning to you. It's great to see you all here this morning. As Kate said, my name's Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. As she said, if you're new or visiting, you're very, very welcome. We'd love to connect with you, so please do uh, come and find us. We'd love to say hello. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at uh, how we can learn from the way Jesus interacted with those around him as we kind of think about how we in turn interact with those around us, the people that we come into contact with. And so far, we've looked at the kindness Jesus showed to the woman uh, caught in adultery. We've looked at the mercy Jesus extended to the somewhat crooked tax collector Zacchaeus. Uh, We've looked at the way Jesus uh, kind of shares his vision of the kingdom through parables and telling these incredible stories. And we've looked at you know his heart for the lost. And we've looked at that through the parable of the uh, lost sheep, the lost coin. And then uh, last week Kate talked about the lost son, the prodigal son from uh, Luke 15. And alongside Jesus' kindness uh, and compassion, you know, the grace and the mercy that he shows again and again towards those who find themselves, for whatever reason, you know, in a really desperate uh, situation, really desperate set of circumstances, whether it's that woman who found herself kind of half naked and exposed before a whole crowd of leering people having been caught in adultery, all the way through to the younger brother who finds himself destitute and broken in a foreign land, every passage, each bit of the scripture that we've looked at has been this incredible demonstration of mercy, of kindness, of compassion, and grace shown towards those uh, in difficulty, towards those people who are in trouble, and towards those people, really, that the rest of society had kind of shunned. One of the other things that we've seen as we've been going through these different passages of scripture um, that we've been looking at is that wherever Jesus is, there's kind of always these sort of two groups of people gathered around him. And in the gospel accounts that we've been looking at, they're described as the tax collectors and the sinners on the one hand, and the Pharisees and the scribes or the teachers of the law on the other. And Uh, As we've seen over the past uh, few weeks, both of these groups of people are coming from entirely different places, entirely different perspectives, and both of them have got an entirely different response to Jesus. You've got uh, the tax collectors and the sinners kind of literally and metaphorically running towards Jesus and his invitation to the kingdom. And then you've got the Pharisees and the scribes kind of just sitting there in a corner and judging Jesus. And they're grumbling. You know, you're grumbling and muttering to themselves that he's even acquainting himself with such people as these, tax collectors and sinners. Um, But as always, Jesus has a very intentional message for both. And this morning, I want us to turn our attention to the Pharisees and the scribes. So settle in. It's going to be a riveting read. Um, Before we go too much further, I have to confess, I do have a lot of sympathy for these guys. We're not going to explore that in any greater depth, but let's just say there's a little bit of resonance I uh, I feel for these guys. You know, the scribes uh, were professional experts in the scriptures. The Pharisees, they were a sect. They were famous for their extremely careful keeping of the law of Moses. They were so careful. In fact, what they did is they kind of layered details and more rules and more regulations on top of the law that already existed, just so that they would never even risk coming close to breaking it. Uh, they're incredibly strict with their students. They're incredibly strict with synagogue goers, which I think is a good way to be, personally. Um, They're very strict with everyone (laughs) about what it took in order to follow the law so that they could be righteous. The tragedy. Of it all, of course, was that in spite of all of their best efforts, in spite of their everything that they did to try and get closer to God by trying to obey the law, they missed out. You know, they missed out on the grace being extended to them in and through the person of Jesus. And they missed out on understanding that it's it's not by the law that we're saved, it's not by keeping the law. Um, But as Paul says in Romans 3, it's by his grace. It's a gift that we receive through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Or as others have famously put it, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for God's glory alone. For the Pharisees, in spite of having all of these religious trappings, you know, they did all the right things, they said all the right things, Sadly, they were missing the very thing that they were longing for, and that was an experience, an encounter with the living God. And again and again, throughout the scriptures, Jesus has these run-ins with the Pharisees. They're always a little bit entertaining. Uh, But he's trying to get them to see the error of their ways. And we're going to look at one of those run-ins this morning. So if you've got a Bible, turn me to Luke chapter 18. And the words should miraculously appear on the screen behind us. And in Luke 18, this this section we're looking at from Luke 18, Jesus is speaking to those, Luke describes them, as as being confident of their own righteousness and who look down on everybody else. That's kind of who he's addressing. Uh, And as uh, he does on many, many similar occasions, Jesus tells a story, a parable, if you like. And this time, it's about two men at the temple. Let's have a look at uh, Luke chapter 18, we'll start in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. The tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Amongst uh, many other things, I think this story warns us of some of the the more risky characteristics, if you like, of being a Pharisee. And we're going to look at some of those uh, this morning. The first of them, I think, is pride. Have a look at verse 11. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So you can picture the scene. Here we've got this Pharisee. He's standing apart from everyone else in the temple, and he's basically thanking God that he's nothing like all those people around him that he considers wretched. One of the things Jesus, I think, is pointing out is that the Pharisee isn't, in fact, even really praying. It's really a self form of self-congratulation, where well, one translation has it that he prayed about himself. One writer puts it like this in his commentary on Luke. He says, it's entirely possible to address our words to God, but actually be praying to oneself, to ourself, because our focus is on ourself, not on God. Our passion is for our agenda, not God's. Our attitude is my will be done and not thy will be done. The man was full of praise, but he rejoiced not for who God was, but rather for who he was. And then our pharisaical friend goes on to list before all of his his own acts of righteousness and his wonderful and extensive religious devotion. He doesn't commit adultery. He doesn't extort money from people. He's not unjust. He's certainly nothing like this terrible tax collector. He fasts. Twice a week, you know, the Pharisees fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. He carefully gives um, not only a tenth of all of that he gets, and that's just not what he earns. It's everything that he has. But somehow he's managed to turn prayer into this some kind of form of self-congratulation, whereby he can feel good about himself all because of what he does and all because he's nowhere near as bad as all of these terribly sinful people around him. In short, our Pharisee friend is proud. He's proud of all he does. He's proud of all his achievements. He's proud of his knowledge. And perhaps most of all, he's proud that he's nothing like these others. Have a look at verse 13 in contrast. But the tax collector stood at a a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. On the other hand, we've got this sinner Here, Uh, And he's the type of person that a Pharisee would have nothing to do with whatsoever under any circumstances at all. Uh, And in this case, the sinner is a tax collector, and he stands off by himself, but for different reasons. He doesn't consider himself even worthy to be in the temple. He doesn't even presume to lift his eyes to heaven. And his prayer is a passionate cry to God for mercy for himself. He is acutely aware of his own sin as he stands before God. In verse 14, Jesus says that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. A second thing, I think, closely related to the problem of pride is the tendency that we can so easily have to become um, judgmental of those around us, more judgmental of the people around us than we are of ourselves. Have a look at verse 9, back at the beginning it says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Jesus tells this parable in Luke chapter 18 to those, the ESV version has it as treated others with contempt. The NIV has it, looked down on everybody else. And somehow the Pharisee has been sort of so seduced by his own self-righteousness, Um, into comparing himself favorably against those people around him who he can look down upon. And in the process, what happens is his devotion to God turns into this judgmental attitude towards others. And I think one of the things that Jesus is doing here by telling this parable is challenging those of us who may have a tendency towards self-righteousness to focus on ourselves rather than on others, to reflect on the state of our own hearts before God, before focusing on on the hearts and minds of the people around us. But the Pharisee is not only judgmental of the sinful people um, around him. uh, He's judgmental of Jesus himself. The Pharisees generally were judgmental of Jesus himself. In their eyes, you know, the sinners are just that. They're sinners. And so they deserve everything that's coming their way. And that's enough to bring them the condemnation from the Pharisees. Um, and while Jesus isn't seen by them, perhaps, as being guilty of flagrant sin in the same way, he is certainly criticized and judged for the company that he keeps. And all of this is because the Pharisees really pronounce judgment on people around them based on the outer appearances, based on what things look like. For them, the idea of holiness is in seeing people's sin, and then condemning the sin, and condemning the sinner, and then keeping themselves as far away as possible from the risk of getting contaminated by the sin and the sinner. So we've got pride, judgment, I told you it was exciting. And then we've got kind of, I don't know how to describe it, like lacking in mercy, a lack of mercy. You know, very rarely do judgment and pride stand alone. These things tend to lead very quickly to a sort of a lack of mercy. And this is another challenge that Jesus presents to the Pharisees. In another similar run-in with the Pharisees, Jesus quotes from the Old Testament book of Hosea. And we'll just take a quick look. This is in Mark chapter 9. It's a very similar-ish account. Uh, It says this in verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus quotes from the prophet Hosea, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And Jesus could have quoted you know, from any number of passages in the Old Testament scriptures. That's what he does all the time. But at the heart of God's laws, all the way through the Old Testament, we see it's mercy towards the poor. It's mercy towards the alien and the widow and the orphan, and above all, towards the sinner. That's why when the Pharisees criticized Jesus for eating and drinking with sinners, Jesus tells them to go back to the beginning, go back to the basics and read the scriptures. They've missed the fundamentals. Jesus reminds them that the law teaches that what God desires from anyone who serves him is to show mercy. It's at the foundation of the law, at the heart of it, at the heart of the law is God's mercy to his people, irrespective of what they might have done. And in return, what the Lord demands is that we show mercy to others, and that's the very heart of obedience, rather even than religious devotion, such as the offering of sacrifices. The Lord seemingly isn't interested in these showy outward acts and trappings of religion. Rather, he longs for his people to have hearts devoted to showing mercy, love, and kindness to those in need. And that leads us to kind of Jesus' next challenge. And it's, it's actually more of an invitation, I think, really, for us to think about the ways in which we can avoid falling into these pits of pride and judgment and lacking in mercy. And the first is this. It's about challenging ourselves rather than challenging everyone else around us. Go back to verse 13 again. The tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it's here, I think, in the posture of the tax collector rather than the posture of the Pharisee that we see kind of who it is that God would rather have us be and how he would have us be. Pride can so easily lead us to become judgmental. And as we become more judgmental, we can so easily find ourselves lacking in mercy. And time and time again, what we see from the Gospels are some of the sharpest challenges in Jesus' teaching are to those who see themselves as devoted worshipers of the Lord. When we read the Gospels, we don't see Jesus condemning sinners. What we do see, however, is Jesus condemning those who have become religious. And Jesus' challenge to us, I think, is much like you know, the, the speck and the plank in the Sermon on the Mount, is that we should all be focusing our attention on the state of our own hearts, just as the tax collector does here in uh, verse 13. In Matthew 7, Jesus says this, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time you've got a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly so as to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The truth is um, I am the one I need to ask the Lord to change. It's not my family members. It's not my wonderful wife. uh, It's not my friends. It's not my work colleagues. it's, It's not my neighbors. It's not even my enemies. I need the Spirit of God to get to work on me and on my heart. Because when our hearts are in the right place before Jesus, we begin to think very, very differently towards those around us who, just like each and every single one of us here, are trapped in some kind of sin or another. The reality is, and it's a pretty harsh reality, that if I find myself becoming hard-hearted and judgmental to those around me, it's a pretty sure and certain sign that I still haven't grasped the state of my own heart, my own unbelief, and my own need of Jesus and his continual mercy and forgiveness. And that's why the Lord's Prayer teaches us to ask for forgiveness for ourselves, just as we forgive those who have sinned against us. I am to know that I'm just like everyone around me. The people around me need forgiveness, and so do I. The people around me need the gospel of Jesus, and so do I. We all need the good news of God's grace to us in Christ Jesus every single day. Only then will we stop comparing other people unfavorably with ourselves. For the truth of the matter is, it is we who are not worthy to lift our eyes to heaven. And so when our worship and our lives focus on the state of our own hearts before God, not only will we see those around us in a very different light, um, but also those around us will see us in a very different light. Rather than seeing us and the Church as self-righteous, judgmental, and hypocritical, all of which are constant refrains being levied against much of the Church today, uh, we will perhaps be seen as authentic and vulnerable, humble, and merciful, which is a far more attractive proposition to be sure. And rather than people staying away from Church for fear of being judged for who they are and for what they may or may not have done, um, perhaps people will come in their droves to a place of sanctuary, a place of acceptance, a place of welcome, where they will encounter the person of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. As we get out of the way, and let him do his work of putting, of, of guiding each one of us into all truth. It's the work of the Spirit of God. I'm not entirely sure it's us. So to counter pride, judgment, and our lack of mercy, we're invited to challenge ourselves before we spend all of our time challenging and confronting everyone else and their sin. A second thing is this, and it's humility. These are all connected. Jesus' most passionate attack on the Pharisees comes against their pride and against those who become confident of their own righteousness, as we saw in um, verse 11. We need, if we found ourselves in that position, we need to humble ourselves before God. And as uncomfortable as it may be, um, these challenges aren't just reserved for the Pharisees and the scribes of Jesus' day. Each one of us needs to be asking ourselves, both in our individual hearts, and as the people of God gathered as this church, whether our prayers have become sort of more like those of the Pharisees, whether our worship or the way that we are with others sounds more like the Pharisees' words in the temple. And humility needs to be our lifelong attribute. And we're always to remember our own need of God's mercy. More than anything else, I think we need to each be praying for a humble and grateful heart. We just need to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. What Jesus does uh, with the Pharisees in these encounters is kind of sends them back to basics. He sends them back to the basics of mercy and grace and kindness and compassion. And alongside all of that, Jesus longs for them to see that they too are sinners in need of his grace. They are desperately in need of God's mercy. They are as in need of God's mercy and grace, as much need as the woman caught in adultery. As much need as the dodgy tax collector Zacchaeus. As much need as the younger brother who squandered his father's inheritance on wild living. There's nothing between them. When we become proud and judgmental and lacking in mercy, as we're so prone to do, the Lord desires for us to see once again the state and heart of condition of our own hearts. And to know um, that with all of our experience of knowing God, that we are actually still poor in spirit. Any true giving of ourselves to this kind of humility, any true giving of ourselves to righteousness, any true sacrifice from our hearts will always guard us from pride and lead us instead toward humility before the Lord. And it's in that kind of humility, that kind of grace and mercy and compassion and love that flows from that place of surrender that has to be one of the most winsome characteristics of true followers of Jesus. And you know, the truth is it's really not hard to come by. It's quite simply the natural outworking of knowing Jesus. What God desires for every true Christian believer is that we show mercy to those around us, reflecting God's heart for that which is lost. And so we have, so we have, you know, our tendency to be proud. We have our tendency to be judgmental, our tendency to lack mercy. But to counter all of that, Jesus is calling each one of us to challenge ourselves and to walk in humility. And the only way that we're going to get there is by passionately pursuing him. It's by passionately pursuing Jesus. You know, much like the story of the prodigal son that Kate looked at last week, every single one of us, whether we've known Jesus for like 50 years or five minutes or don't even know him yet, every single one of us must come to the same place as that of the younger brother in that story, who having squandered his father's inheritance on wild living comes to the realization of his need that he needs to set out. I need to set out. I need to go back to my father's house, and I need to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he sets off, and he goes back to his father. And in the very same way, as we come to that realization that in ourselves, You know, we're so easily drawn to these places of pride and judgment and lacking mercy, and we need to go back to our Father's house again and again and again, humbled and broken, and throw ourselves on his mercy and grace. What do we find when we do that? Just like the Father in the story of the prodigal son, our Heavenly Father receives us with open arms. And while we are still a long way off, our Father in heaven sees us, and he is filled with compassion for us, and he runs to us, and he throws his arms around us, and he kisses us. And because of what Jesus has done for every single one of us through his life and his death and his resurrection, not only are we welcomed by our Father in heaven, but he then extends to us the invitation of a new life, a new way of being, a new way of doing life, a new way of living life, and a life not marked by pride and judgment and lacking in mercy, but one filled with love and his grace and his mercy and his compassion and above all his spirit. And as the father in the story of the prodigal son brings uh, his lost son the finest robe, puts a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, so too our heavenly father, clothes us with garments of Christ's salvation, and arrays us in robes of Christ's righteousness. just want to finish with um, Colossians 3. It says this in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Why don't you stand?